Good evening. Welcome to our special program tonight. Glad that you're here. And glad that you're taking the time to join us. I want to set this up for you. Um, this is what you're about to hear is a meeting between um, D. Haig and the faith, like, faith leaders of our state. Um, on April 24th, there was a conference call, and the faith-based leaders, pastors, and church leaders from around our state were invited um, to have a conference call with DHEG about the COVID-19 situation. And I want to set up this meeting is that this, this is directed right at pastors and churches. And this meeting took place two weeks, about two to three weeks ago in the midst of the crisis. And um, you, you will hear um, Dr. Linda um, Bell, who is our state epi epidemiologist, if I can say that, who um, is, speaks and talks and answers questions about the COVID-19 virus in relationship to the church. Um, and I want to say that I want to thank um, Dr. Bell for taking time out of her schedule to speak directly to pastors and churches about the COVID-19. Um, pastors from across the state have sent in to her questions, and so she describes a little bit about the, uh, the COVID-19 virus, and, and she answers questions that she has received. Um, this, I was a part of this, uh, this conversation, and uh, I want to make it available to you tonight so that you, can, you have, can have the opportunity to listen to it and make up your own mind about it. This conversation uh, is the basis uh, of why uh, we are in uh, no personal worship services until May the 20th. Um, I know that there will be meeting this week to discuss, you know, reopening plans, but I don't know what's going to happen at that meeting. Um, I do not have a crystal ball, and I cannot tell you. So please be patient. Um, I'm asking everyone to please be patient. I want to hold in-person worship services just as much as, um, as, as the next person. But I wanted to make this available to you tonight so that you can hear, you know, where the decision has come from. And I want to say, first of all, this is not political. This, this has nothing to do with politics. This is our, our DHEG um, from our state. It's not the CDC. It's, from, it's local. And, um, and, and I just want to appreciate DHEG and all that they do to, to keep us safe. Um, and, and show, giving us guidelines and what to do and how to respond to the COVID-19 virus. Um, as you'll listen, um, Dr. Bell will talk about the cases, the new cases that are, that, that, uh, that, um, are the new cases of COVID-19 on April the 24th. Um, but I have the new cases today, um, May 11th, 2020th, um, 2020, um, there's 113 new cases in the state, and there's one new case in Lawrence County. So that brings us to 7,653 total cases and 331 deaths related to the COVID-19 virus. So if you hear that, um, realize that when you list, are listening to that, that's, that's, on two, that's two or three weeks old uh, uh, information. But th this is, um, she is directing us and churches how how to handle and how to respond to the uh, 
the um, the COVID nineteen um, crisis. I hope that I hope this this will help you understand it and understand why our bishop and and church leaders have made the decisions that they, that they've had um, because they base it on what DHEG has told them. Um, so as we begin to listen tonight, let's open up with a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity coming before you. Give us ears to hear and open hearts to receive. Help us to listen. And have an open have an open mind, and continue to lead God and direct us throughout this COVID nineteen crisis. Lord, continue to bring healing to our state and nation, and be with those persons directly affected by COVID nineteen. Just help us, Lord, to find peace and, and harmony in you during this time. Bless each person that is listening, and bless our St. James Church family, and those who have joined us tonight. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I present to you this, uh, the conference call with DHEG uh, on the COVID-19 um, crisis with Dr. Linda Bell. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. I'm Christy Ellenberg. I'm Director of Collaborative Partnerships for DHEX Environmental Affairs, and it is 10 o'clock. Today, I'm going to be part of the team that will be helping with our technology of this call, and just wanted to reach out to everyone and say we really appreciate this opportunity for us to come together and connect with so many of our esteemed faith-based leaders from across the state. We've had amazing response to our invitation this week. We do expect a, a full house. We expect 250 people to be joining us in this call, and I'm seeing a lot of them coming in right now. And as we get started, I just wanted to add a few quick notes. First, we will be recording this discussion. Doing so will really allow us to have it available for you and those who couldn't join us this morning. So as we conclude today, we'll create that audio file and we'll be able to make that available afterwards. We also wanna make sure we're being respectful of everyone's time. So the discussion is scheduled for 45 minutes. With our group size and to manage the background noise, we will be muting all of our guests, which will help us be able to hear more from Warren Bolton, who will be our host, and Dr. Bill. And finally, we really appreciate all of the questions that were shared by you during our RSVP. So in lieu of a traditional Q&A format, we're going to be using those questions you've already submitted to guide our conversation this morning. We did review each of those questions. We saw many common questions, and those are the ones we're going to be focusing on today. So if you submitted a question, you may hear something that sounds familiar, even if it's not kind of a direct word-for-word -word quote. And some of them we may not be able to answer either by time or because it's something that's a little beyond further outside of DHEC's scope. So with that, I do want to pass the mic to Warren Bolton, who will be our host for the remainder of the call. Warren? Thank you, Christy, and good morning, everyone. Um, let me just say we appreciate you all joining us uh, again for this critical conversation related to, to reducing the impact of COVID-19 in our state. Um, at DHEC, I'm the communications liaison for the Bureau of Communicable Disease, Communicable Disease Prevention and Control. And um, in addition to being a part of the DHEC team, I'm also a, a pastor of a church in Camden and responsible for watching over a flock like many of you are. And it goes without saying that this disease has had a tremendous impact on how we interact with people um, in our, in our uh, churches and places of worship and how we carry out the work that we carry out. 
And uh, I know we are all clinging to the uh, admonition uh, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we equally must uh, take seriously the, the call to watch over the flock. And um, fortunately, many of us have fared well as we transition to on, uh, online worship. And I know that's, uh, there's nothing like the real thing, um, but uh, we have to operate in wisdom. And I'm going to share this with you before I introduce Dr. Bell. Um, being in Camden, that, that was the early epicenter of this um, uh, pandemic, uh, an outbreak here in South Carolina. And um, my church is one that an, has an older congregation. Uh, many of its members have um, adverse health conditions. And so early on, we had to make a decision about uh, watching out for our, our, our folks. And um, since early March, we have not been meeting, but we've been using alternative messages, ways to message, um, give messages and encouragement to, to our folks. Um, and in this day and age, we're getting information from so many places. Um, we wanted to make sure that we could help provide you all some, some facts that you could, uh, and information that you can depend on as you lead your, your members uh, through this pandemic. And at that, I'd like to introduce Dr. Linda Bell, our state epidemiologist. Dr. Bell. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Christy. And um, thank you to everyone who has uh, joined us this morning um, and also for all the questions that have been submitted. I, I think it's, it's very helpful to hold these uh, conversations, to take every opportunity for us to provide you with information to um, educate uh, your congregations. And, um, and so I just thank you for joining us again to uh, talk about how leaders in our faith communities and DHEC can partner to address COVID-19 in our state. I'll provide some of uh, the data and then uh, talk more about the questions that we have received. But as of yesterday, we are reporting 161 new cases which brings the total number of people who have tested positive for the disease in South Carolina to 4,917. And of those, 150 precious souls have lost their lives to COVID-19. Some groups are affected at higher rates than others. And although African-Americans make up about 27% of South Carolina's population, but comprise 36% of COVID-19 cases and 57% of related deaths. One reason this is occurring is because African-Americans are disproportionately affected by conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, asthma, and obesity. And they're also more likely to encounter circumstances that limit adequate access to care. And people with such health conditions and limited access to care are at higher risk of severe illness if infected with COVID-19. We recognize the critical need to address these inequities and are making a concerted effort to communicate prevention messages to better reach communities of color and other affected groups. And this briefing and others like it are just one part of that effort. For example, we're also partnering with environmental justice advocates to raise awareness, and we will host a briefing with them later today. There's also a budding partnership with the Commission for Minority Affairs which has deep roots across the state and will help us reach many populations, whether they're Christian, 
Baha'i, Muslim, African American, Native American, or Hispanic, and others. I'm sure many of you have um, heard that there are projections that suggest the COVID-19 curve in South Carolina has begun to level. However, many who are infected are currently not being tested. So we have to interpret those projections very cautiously and um, not treat those as a suggestion that the, we can stop the measures that we have been um, strongly reinforcing to uh, continue to protect ourselves. So it's very, very important to remember that even as we work to flatten the curve, people will continue to be infected. There is still high rates of transmission in our communities, so positive cases will continue to be reported, and unfortunately, we will continue to see deaths for some time. So we have asked South Carolinians to make great sacrifices through social distancing, through closures, and other methods aimed at reducing the spread of this disease. And I know that everyone is waiting for a time that we can loosen restrictions. There's no set timeline for doing that, <clears throat> that I or anyone else can give. Um, the data that we are collecting will help drive that. But when the time comes and restrictions begin to be re reduced, it will still remain critical that everyone continues to take steps to stop the spread of disease. So even if we begin to see positive indicators for our data, we will still have to be aware that disease transmission is occurring and we still must practice these measures to protect ourselves. And it's particularly important to help protect those at greatest risk of severe impact from the disease. This, completes, um, this in includes many among your membership, um, older individuals, African-Americans, and others with um, other related health problems. I know that you're all concerned about when you can return to worship <clears throat> Excuse me, but it is not time for that yet. Um, for now, I ask that everyone continue to educate your membership on ways to protect themselves and others. And as you know, there's no treatment or vaccine for the virus at this time. So the only means that we have for protection is the social distancing. And our data shows uh, that social distancing and staying home is working. We also have new research that shows that the virus is potentially more contagious than we originally thought, so those measures are even more important now. Many of you have been effective at holding virtual worship, worship services and communicating via, via social media, and I applaud those types of efforts. DHEC has created and posted materials such as videos and flyers and fact sheets. Those are on our website that you can share on those platforms that you're using. And we can also uh, work with uh, to make those available to you through our email contacts with you. Apart from testing, there are some other steps that we can take to help stop the spread of disease and continue to flatten the curve. Those are to practice social distancing. We have been saying to remain six feet apart, avoiding crowds and large events. New evidence suggests that that six feet distance may not be sufficient, which means um, that it's even more important to avoid congregate and group settings. 
We strongly encourage wearing a mask while out in public. Disinfecting frequently touched surfaces and items is very important in preventing um, the occurrence of the virus in the environment. And regularly washing your hands so that if you touch surfaces, your hands are clean, and if you touch your eyes or nose or mouth, you don't introduce the virus into your system. And finally, monitoring for symptoms and staying home when you're sick or when you've been in contact with someone who is sick. And at this time, I, I want to note um, that we have received a large number of questions. I'm going to go through those questions, uh, read the questions to you. They are uh, many that are in the same related area. And before I go on with that, I just want to ask my uh, colleagues on the line here, is there, is there anything else that we need to do or any other comments before we move into the question portion? Anyone? I think we're good to go, Dr. Bell. Okay, thank you, Warren. We had a number of questions about protocols for reopening. In fact, I would say that the majority of the interest is in this area. And I'll just have to emphasize that now is not the time for reopening, but I will touch on the factors that we're looking at to help make decisions about when that time will come. One question is, what are your best ideas or guidelines for knowing when it is appropriate to reopen our facilities for worship or at least small group gatherings? And we're continuing to look at disease surveillance data. That tells us about disease activity in the community. And when that data shows that we have had a significant period of time with a dramatic downward trend in disease activity in the communities that has lasted for at least two weeks, that would be the strongest indicator. We say two weeks because that's the incubation period for this illness. So until we have made it for two weeks without identifying many more cases, that's the best indicator that will tell us that activity, disease activity in the community has slowed significantly. The other thing that we need to make sure of, though, as we use that data is if we are adequately testing people in the community. So until we're sure that disease occurrence has not gone down just because we're not looking for it, we have to make sure that there's adequate testing in the community before we also have that reassurance. And until that time, the question about even small group gatherings will um, still increase the risk for there to be people in the population who have not yet been identified. They may, not, they may not even appear ill, but they can still transmit the virus, and therefore that's the importance of avoiding um, congregate settings, uh, worship services, and other small group activities. Should we consider canceling or postponing events scheduled in late, uh, until late May or early June? Uh, we are often asked about a particular date on the calendar when, and when people can begin um, opening events. And it's not possible to pick a date because, again, we will be looking at disease activity in the community. And the, um, the virus doesn't understand the calendar. So until we see a, um, that downward trend that I mentioned, then we'll be able to pick a date after that time to make recommendations about when it is safe to relax um, additional restrictions. Should we consider phasing into in-person worship services? 
reopen with just worship services and hold off on Sunday school until the public health risk has further decreased. And uh, this is just to show the number of related questions to uh, when can we open. And so no, um, I ask that no one consider phasing into in-person worship services. Any form of um, holding worship services, services that might even include, can we sit in the pews and um, have spacing between one another? Can we go to worship services and wear masks? And um, what we're seeing with the uh, relaxation of um, restrictions in retail settings, I would like everyone to think about the fact that in a retail setting, you may be um, having brief contact with people in the community, just passing them in, in an aisle or in a store, uh, very limited contact, working on um, spacing yourself away from others, hopefully wearing a mask. And I would like everyone to think about how different those types of interactions are from sitting in um, a confined area for a prolonged period of time, an hour or more that uh, worship services will last. So even if you're attempting to maintain social distancing, you're still in a confined area for a long period of time and potentially sitting with individuals who may not appear to be ill, who may or may not be wearing masks. And um, you just can't predict when someone will um, have uh, uh, episodes of coughing or sneezing. And something new that we're learning is that even with talking or breathing, even if you don't have signs or symptoms of illness, there is an increased risk of spreading the virus from people who are not ill. And the longer that you stay in contact with groups of people in, um, in uh, the community, the more you increase your risk of being exposed. So um, I would say that the answer is uh, clearly no, you should not start phasing into in-person worship services or to reopen uh, just worship services and hold off on Sunday school. All of those are group gatherings and that does not in any way decrease the risk. Uh, there are questions about should we still practice social distancing and require masks and that is absolutely yes while you're out in the community but it is not a safe measure to wear masks, particularly homemade masks that um, are meant to protect people from large respiratory droplets in public settings with brief contacts. But these are really not the types of masks that we're using widely in the community that are like the ones that are used in healthcare settings that are designed to filter out the virus. So masks are recommended, but they are not an absolute form of protection. Um, again, what recommendations do you have for spacing in services? And I don't have a recommendation for spacing because it is, it is just not safe to hold uh, worship services at this time until uh, we are able to see that disease transmission in the community has dropped significantly. We have a question about can we hold drive-in style services in parking lots? And if that's well designed and people really stay in their cars and there is um, uh, you know, a, an audio system so that everyone can hear and there's uh, there's no intermingling. Uh, there are probably ways to do that well and we could provide guidance about that. There are questions about cleaning. Do we need to sanitize facilities before in-person worship for spaces that have not been used in weeks? And um, in terms of reopening at some point in the future, we don't see the need to recommend intensive environmental cleaning 
for the virus because the virus, um, there's evidence that it can live on surfaces for um, up to several hours. But if a facility has been closed for several weeks, sanitizing the facility for the purposes of uh, cleaning up the virus is, is not necessary. There's a question about do we need to clean services, surfaces in between services or events? So if, for example, there are um, funeral services or, or something like that that's being held where um, people have made a decision that they need to be in the facility, it is strongly recommended that um, if there should be a gathering that um, thorough environmental cleaning be carried out with disinfectants that um, are known to, um, to have um, disinfecting um, uh, uh, capabilities or, or um, there's information about the effective disinfectants for a cleaning up uh, against the virus. There are questions about church staff and employees. What are the recommendations for custodians? And um, there is information posted on the DHEC website for this, but custodians should use gloves. They should uh, consider wearing masks when they're cleaning. And, um, and should again be using uh, effective uh, cleaning agents. And for those details, I would refer individuals to, um, to guidance that's provided. We do wanna make sure that um, custodians and all workers are kept safe from potential exposure to the virus when, uh, when people are not around. This goes as well for the recommendations for staff who, uh, well, actually this question is, what are the recommendations for staff who count and collect tithes and offerings? So if the recommendation is that um, services not be held, if there are uh, some means being set up where people are still um, keeping their church offices open to allow people to collect tithes and offerings, um, I think the recommendation would be to have some sort of a lockbox or something so that uh, envelopes or money can be uh, put in a box and left there for a period of time uh, for a day or so, so that if there's any active virus on there that's been uh, handled by people, that um, those items be left alone and then handled uh, after they have uh, sat there for a while. So some sort of lockbox should be set up, but I do not recommend that people take uh, paper money or envelopes or anything like that from individuals because there's not a good way to um, to sterilize or sanitize those types of items. And then another question is, what are the protocols for staff who have been diagnosed to return to work? Uh, I think this question may have to do with um, recognition of symptoms and also testing. So I'll touch first on if someone has been diagnosed and has been ill, we recommend that individuals not return to work until they have um, had no symptoms. Uh, I'm sorry, until their symptoms um, have uh, resolved, that they have uh, not had a fever for at least 72 hours without the use of medicines like Tylenol or Motrin that can reduce fever, and that it has been at least seven days since the onset of their symptoms. So no one should return to work if they're still having symptoms and they should be um, feeling well again. It is not recommended that people be tested to return to work unless they're in a healthcare setting or um, in a, a nursing home facility or something like that. We're getting lots of questions about clearance to, um, to return to work using a diagnostic test and we do not recommend repeat testing. 
We also do not recommend testing of individuals who do not have symptoms to make decisions about them being able to work. Uh, because the scenario there is that you can be tested at one point in time and test negative, but then you could be exposed in the days after that and become ill. So testing asymptomatic people or people who have no symptoms to make decisions about returning to work is not recommended. There are some questions about testing and data trends. Where are testing um, facilities located? On the DHEC website, you can find information about healthcare systems that are offering testing in communities throughout the state. We're also working with uh, rural healthcare providers and community health centers to learn uh, which of those are offering testing, and we will provide that information. Um, I ask that you, uh, I recommend that you also check with a healthcare provider in your community. You can call urgent care centers or community health centers and ask if they are um, making testing available uh, if you have symptoms uh, to also be evaluated by a healthcare provider to make recommendations about if you should be tested and where you could be tested. There's a question about will there be a requirement to test individuals prior to returning to our religious services? And I, I hope I've addressed that uh, in speaking to staff, but certainly there is no recommendation for testing individuals prior to returning to religious services. And there's basically no way to verify or collect information about who has and has not been tested and to um, and to have some sort of uh, certification or verification that people are okay to, uh, to come to services. Uh, this is why we continue to recommend the social distancing, not to have group gatherings, uh, social activities, church services, or any kind, because there's no way for us to, uh, to verify that people are, are safe to return to community settings. There are, um, there's a question about recommendations around how to distribute Holy Communion. And um, again, that um, it, since there is no recommendation at this time for holding services, uh, we don't have a recommendation around that. But should we come to a time where uh, we believe it is safe to um, return to religious services because disease activity has fallen? I think we would recognize that we will never come to a point where there is zero transmission in the community. So communion services that involve um, a, a shared bread or a community cup or anything like that, uh, drinking from the same cup or dipping the host into the wine, none of those are recommended because of the risk of uh, the potential for poor hygiene. So when we can open services again, I ask uh, church leaders to, to pay um, special attention to that. I think at this time there is a communion being given at homes, and uh, we would ask those individuals who are, um, who are the lay leaders and who are going into the community to follow careful uh, practices for offering communion at home, to make sure that when you're entering a home, you ask questions about whether there is anyone in the home who is ill, um, ask that masks be worn, and um, at this time I would recommend that you not enter a home if they report that there is an illness in the home, that you not offer community, uh, communion in the home if, that, if there are people in the home who are ill. There are questions about um, what are your recommendations for COVID-19 protection 
or prevention protocols for reopening church daycares. <clears throat> there are guidelines for daycare centers that, um, that churches should follow as any daycare center. That is to monitor for illness in the workers, that no one should come to work if they have signs or symptoms of ill of illness, and no one should come to work if they've been in contact with a household member who has signs or symptoms of illness. They should be in quarantine for 14 days. They should ask parents to um, monitor for illness in their children and not send children to daycare if they have uh, signs or symptoms of illness or if they have been in contact with anyone. And that those daycare centers should practice um, very aggressive environmental cleaning. Young children are uh, the hardest group to, um, to practice social distancing. And so uh, it's very important to avoid the introduction of illness into daycare settings. And I recommend that any church that uh, offers daycare uh, follow the guidelines recommended for all daycare facilities. Uh, there's another question about preparations being made to respond to mental health needs that may arise as a result of COVID-19. And we know that there are many in the communities, in our communities who are um, experiencing isolation and um, a, perhaps a worsening of um, existing mental health issues. And the Department of Mental Health has, inf has information on their site about a hotline that people can call in for and uh, there are mental health agencies in all of our communities. And I, I strongly recommend that if anybody uh, feels um, that they're in a crisis or they have family members who are in crisis, to seek out those types of services to make sure that, um, that those um, that mental health needs are being met as well as uh, physical health needs and spiritual health needs. Those are the majority of the questions that we received in major categories at this time. Um, so I would ask if our, um, if our moderators have any other recommendations for us. Thank you, Dr. Bell. Um, one thing I would do is uh, encourage everyone to visit our website at scdheck.gov slash COVID-19 and uh, take a look at our materials, our education and outreach materials and um, download them and use them on your websites and Facebook pages, Twitter, and uh, your other uh, platforms to, uh, to educate uh, your, your, your memberships. And um, you all have my um, contact information, and feel free to reach out if you've got questions, uh, uh, concerns. And I'd like to certainly um, thank um, some of our partners who uh, consulted with us and, and, and reached out and invited some of you all as well. Um, as we put this together, such as Hold Out the Lifeline and uh, Office of Minority Affairs and the South Carolina Department on Aging. But again, look, we just thank you and uh, we appreciate it. And um, let's stay in touch. Thank you, Warren. And I just want to add my thanks to our church leaders for all that they're doing in the community to uh, provide education and uh, to provide support in the community that is so needed. Thank you all for your participation. I'll add my thanks to everyone as well for joining us. Dr. Bill, I really appreciate you being able to answer so many questions. Again, we did record this uh, conversation, and so we're going to be making that available as well. And just thanks to everyone for joining us this morning. I believe we can conclude today's call. Bye, everyone. Well, I hope you. Uh, I'm glad that you glad that you have an opportunity to be with us tonight and and to listen and to have to have a little more perspective.
it helps to helps to have uh, helps hope that you were able to to have have a little more understanding and 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 um about COVID nineteen and I learned a lot of things I didn't realize about COVID nineteen about like the 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 six the six foot um, doesn't necessarily work and and when you and the longer that you're around some person people you know you're 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 more likely to spread the disease and 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 how it relates to church and it's like it, it, you almost feel like they're singling out the church but they're they're doing it because the church environment is so different you know that she explains that in 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 this program that the church environment is totally different than than retail so I appreciate her talking about that um and also, you know, they're 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 coming out with some new guidelines, and I've just I've read through some of them, and it's just it's just kind of I don't know, it's different um, to, for us to come back to church. Um, we got to do this, this, and this, and so hopefully, you know, we'll be able to we'll be able to get together and real soon. I'm glad that you were here tonight, and I hope that this helps you. You can share it with a friend. Um, this will be posted on our our, our website. Um, and I also want to thank um, our, our conference and DHEG for making this available to us, this recording. And so that that's, hope everyone has a good night and God bless.